if you're in a position where you can only afford to buy a $300,000 house to get into the property market so that you can buy your four-bedroom house, I'd suggest rent vesting because it's like, instead of delaying where you're at, it's like, well, you can, you can technically do both and you can actually get your foot in that rung. And I think that's where a lot of younger people need to look now. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dash Insider, the auditory epicenter for property investors seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Braden Warhurst. Braden, how are you? Yeah, really good yourself, Goose. Very, very well, thanks. You know what's really uh, funny is your voice changed between when we were talking just before we came on the podcast, and now that the podcast I've hit record, <laughs> you suddenly you know, your, your voice your voice changed. Yeah, <laughs> it says, I, I know, I noticed that. <laughs> it's very. It was funny. almost like I was trying to time it as to when I was meant to say that. <laughs> So it's quite funny when you get people on a podcast because um, as soon as the camera starts rolling, as soon as you hit the record button, people start to behave a little differently. But um, I'm excited to do this podcast again because we actually recorded, for the benefit of everyone listening to this, we actually recorded um, uh, an episode um, the other week, Braden and I recorded, and it was exceptional, but um, we had some technical issues and it blew up. So we're going to try and probably not even go over the same stuff again because I've got no idea what I asked you, but I'm really keen to dig into it because I think you've got a great story and I think there's a lot of really good lessons. Um, and I know that you built a flow chart based off the um, questions I asked you last time, so I'm going to do my best to completely destroy any crutch you might have on that front. So my very first question that I want to ask you is if you had to be one colour, what colour would you be? I'd be green. You'd be green. Why would you be yeah. green? Because that was the first thing that came to my mind and I didn't know where that question was going to go. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> and I wanted to sound confident with my answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, very good. So, Brayden, for people listening, um, most people uh, don't know who you are. So, why don't we give them a little bit of context? Why don't you give us a kind of 30-second overview? Tell us a little bit of who you are, what do you do, and, um, and why should people be interested in what you've got to say? All right. So, my name is Brayden. I run a Polish concrete and micro cement business called Rural Surfaces. Um, I'm an avid property investor that's very interested in uh, good food, health, wellness, mountain biking, surfing, traveling, all that sort of like fun stuff that sort of makes life enjoyable. Nice. So um, I obviously want to get into your property uh, story a little bit, but I'd like to start with the business piece if, that, if that's okay. Why, why did you start your like, – tell us a little bit about your business and why did you start that business? So I'd been in the industry for a really long time and I was sort of at a point where I wanted to get off the tools and I was actually studying project management in the company that I was working with. Um, but I was starting to realize that it wasn't going to go anywhere in, inside that company. So what I did was I was like, okay, my options are I either go tier one construction where I can make something out of this, like with proper money, or I can go down the path of doing this for myself. And it just so happened that I was getting a bunch of organic referrals from people that were saying to me, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? So it sort of helped make up my mind. And then COVID sort of came around and I got to a point where I didn't want to have to rely on anybody else. And I sort of wanted to be able to have freedom and control over my outcome because, I don't know, I got worried about other people's insecurities and other people's fears dictating my future. So I was like, if I'm going to burn this ship, I'm going to burn it myself. <laughs> so I buried myself in debt and started the business. You, you buried yourself in debt? 
You yes. started the business. Yes, I That's did. It's interesting. I didn't tell you, you about that last time. You take, no, you didn't tell me about that last time. You take out a business. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Do you take out a business loan or what was the idea? So, like, basic financial structure of it was I was with my job, I need to have big, heavy duty, expensive equipment. So, like, my concrete grinder cost 50 grand. So, I basically had one lead and I took out $180,000 worth of debt. And I pretty much, like, I knew the tax benefit with the instant asset write-off. So I've gone, okay, I can leverage this right now to get all the gear and equipment that I wanted. It just so happened the timing of everything was perfect. The timing was fucking shocking because if I got the loan when I was working for somebody, I would have got a 3% rate. I then had to go to a third-tier lender where the rate went to 13%. I then went to another person who got it down to 6 through backdating GST. So it was a bit of an adventure. But I got there in the end. Yeah, so yeah, I just I needed the equipment, and I got in before everything got sold out. So that's where I was lucky. <laughs> so most people are scared of debt, but you clearly aren't. How do you rationalise that? How, how did you get comfortable with that? Because a lot of people wouldn't, a lot of people aren't comfortable going into debt to buy an investment property, property, let alone to start a business. So for you to get for you to be comfortable with debt, I'd like to understand how you think about that. In that situation, I was. I, I knew what the rough numbers were. I knew what break-evens were. I've always, like, I look, I utilised a few tools that were available at the time. So, like, I drew money out of super as, like, a, what I called a shit-hits-the-fan fund. Um, and then I had a credit card. So I had two points of leverage that I could sort of lean on. I know what the average project values are. So I knew what my sort of minimum was per month. And I knew I had one job lined up. So I was like, okay, that buys me one month. And then it was just play the leverage game and see how close to it I could get. But again, in that time, I wanted to back myself. I didn't want to be reliant on anybody else because with people being insecure and having their own sort of fears and doubts, like I didn't want somebody else to go, oh, we need to discount this or we need to do this to do this. And then I'm sitting at home and twiddling my fingers, not having any control over whether I can or can't work. Mm. So... But what you did, the actions you took speak to more than just seeking job security, right? Because on the one hand, that sounds like job security. Oh, I want to make sure I feel like I'm not suddenly one day going to get shafted from the employment that I'm in. Seeking job security is pretty normal for uh, people who uh, want to remain being gainfully employed. You took a path, though, that was significantly different. You decided... Oh, look, there, there, was, there was one other side to it. Like, even with, like, tier one project management, like I was sort of looking at as well, like, I thought to myself, I'm like, for me to get to, say, two to 300 grand a year income, I, that would take 10 years to achieve that goal because you've got to work up through organisational structures, go through all that sort of stuff, working six, seven days a week, where this I thought to myself, I know I can do that in 12 months, two years, and I can accelerate it as fast as I can hold the pace. So what's the end goal? Like, why, why was that important to you? Why was it important to you to suddenly accelerate your income and all that kind of stuff? Honestly, I think everybody wants to accelerate their income. Um, I've never met a person who hasn't said, geez, it'd be nice to have less money. Yeah, but most people don't take as much massive action towards it, right? So, that, so, so most people are like, okay, I want more money, but what I'll do is it's just going to take me 10 years to get there, so that's okay. And for you to have an impetus to turn around and say, no, 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 I'm going to carve a different path. I'm going to actually uh, – I'm going to, I'm going to take on risk. I'm going, to, I'm going to push myself. I'm going to – you know, necessarily, necessarily there's a different driver there. Necessarily there's something that caused you to do 
something that other people generally don't do because very few people go out and start their own business. And I'm interested to know, and also money is not a really uh, strong motivator in and of itself. So money is only an enabler for other things. And so what I'm interested in understanding is like what is, so there's a, a, a kind of like a, a, you know, a flag in the ground goal of like, I can earn more money. Good, great. Why was that important enough to you for you to go and cast it, carve out and start to go and do your own thing? Look, I think on, on the topic of money, like I, I find that interesting. I've been thinking a lot about this lately, like with goals and like surface level goals versus like actual deep intrinsic goals. And I think like at the time, like it was just a surface level thing. Like you, you think like Scrooge McDuck and you think more money is going to make you happy. You don't actually necessarily think about the function of it. So like I'd always grown up to like, I'd always grown up to be taught like you just work your ass off and you make as much as you can like that that was just an internal belief that I had um and yeah I suppose I just got pissed off enough days at work where I thought I can do this shit better myself and I don't want to have anybody else trying to trying to lead me if I didn't actually see growth in the position because like I, I genuinely couldn't see myself being able to grow in the position and I just got frustrated and I wasn't going to just keep spinning the wheels in the same spot. Do you think that that's actually more the point than the money though, the growth, the opportunity to grow? Because, um, and I'm very interested, uh, you, you, you mentioned you've been doing a lot of thinking uh, lately around, uh, around goals and happiness. And so I'd, I'd love to get your perspective then on, you know, just your current perspective. It doesn't need to be like the, the final truth or whatever. Your current perspective on what makes happiness, you know? So this is a similar to many of life question from last time? Uh, well, <laughs> well, to be honest, I don't know what I asked you last time, so there we go. Yeah, last time, meaning of life. This time, what is happiness? Yeah. So, like, I guess this is actually a question, like, of, like, I think the two sort of intertwine with each other. Um, but I, I think, like, fight, to find happiness, you've sort of got to be able to, like, not dwell. You've got to be able to learn, learn from the past but not dwell on it. You've got to be happy and present in the current because that's the life you're actually living and your future goals need to be aspirational enough to drive you forwards so that you've actually got motivation to live your life. So if you can sort of mash all those three things together, I think you can live a pretty full and happy life because I feel like a lot of people go down the path of saying like, oh, when I get this car or when I get this watch or when I get this house, then I'll be happy. And then it's like you get the thing and then you just, you're constantly just chasing material goods to try and find happiness. But then when you actually think about it, like, oh, look, not that I've got any respect for the guy at all, but um, that Tate guy that's all over yeah. the internet, um, <laughs> he, he said in one of his interviews, um, he goes, you get to a certain point with money where you realise you can buy any Lamborghini, you can go out to any restaurant, you can buy any house, you can do whatever you want. And he goes, and then you just realise they're all just fucking things. And he goes, you realise the fun part of it is that it feels unattainable. So it's the chase that you're actually enjoying and the destination is just like a little sugar rush reward. So if you just think the destination is going to be the happiness, then you're never going to find it. So it's like you've got to actually enjoy what you're doing at the current time and enjoying your life so that then you can find fulfilment because like tomorrow might not come as grim as that sounds. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super fascinating because I've been doing a lot of uh, thinking about this as well. And so 
all desire is suffering. That's a very Buddhist uh, uh, perspective, but it's also exceptionally true. All desire is suffering. And I heard this um, uh, this thing from Zen Buddhism, and I'm going to kind of butcher it, but it was a uh, butcher the quote that I heard. But basically, it was that um, happiness is only ever found in the fleeting moment between between the changing of desires. So once you've fulfilled one desire, and before you have worked out what your next desire is. There's like a, there's a fraction of a second there where you don't want anything, right? And that's where happiness exists. But I think it's a little bit more than that. And I think it's really, it's worth thinking about, right? Because, and this is very relevant to to property investing. People might think like, where's this going? But it's like, it is very relevant to property investing because, you know, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is we're trying to set ourselves up for a future where we can ultimately be happy and fulfilled. And so then the question is like, what is going to make that? Is that, is that future, uh, does that future need to have like nine Lamborghinis and whatever or is it something else and and in fact could happiness be found um in another way and i think i don't have the answer by the way i'm, I'm thinking about it a lot but but i think it's got something to do with doing hard things and making progress without any attachment to the outcome which is really really interesting right because it's it's the desire it's like when you to, to your point you started talking about the when then fallacy like when i when i achieve x then i'll be y it's like well okay so if you weren't attached to the outcome if you had no desire if there was no attachment to it but the choice to because you need progress i believe that you need progress because if you just if you just got to a place where you're like okay i'm desireless i don't want anything and then what you just sit there for the rest of your life that's not that's not going to be fulfilling either you just like so so you ha- must have progress and so in order for there to be progress, you must necessarily um, be changing from one state to another state. So there, there must be a, some kind of challenge in there. And I think that the, the pursuit or the, uh, the, the, the actual process of challenge actually creates fulfillment. But if you're striving and doing all this challenge with this like, okay, I'm going to challenge myself and then at the end of it, I'm going to get this reward, the reward is completely meaningless. And so if you could take out the reward and if you could just do hard things – for the, in the pursuit of progress without any attachment to any outcome, I think that somewhere in there is where you find happiness. What do you think about that? I really agree with that statement. I, sort of, I also think it's sort of similar to like a lot of people's relationships and stuff like that where they, like for their partner, for example, they go, I need to make this money to create the life that, that we want and that we deserve. But a lot of people don't actually have the conversation as to, what that life looks like so it's like you're actually not spending time with your partner you're creating separation and then you're off grinding doing all this for the outcome but then the ride that you're actually going on destroys the relationship that you're trying to save yeah yeah it's super interesting so it's like it does it doesn't the outcome doesn't align with the actual goal because if the goal is to be happy and together like it's not saying that you can't work and you can't strive for more no, like, I, I actually, th- yeah. I actually think that you must. I actually think that yeah. you must. I think, I think that, otherwise, your life would be miserable if you didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it would, it would cease to have. Yeah, I think it would cease to have any uh, reference points, and I think that's that's also really important too. Like, because pro- like progress is good. I think you need progress, but like progress can be measured in lots of different ways, right? And so, you know, and I think that, I think that the, I think that there's a really innate piece in there of doing hard things. That could be working hard. That could be trying to do something that you've never done before. It could be climbing Mount Everest. It could be starting a business. It could be, um, you know, it could be uh, lifting weights, for example. That's that's doing, like, that's, that's you're just doing hard things, right? And you, but 
not with some kind of like um, desire for there to be a payoff, just for the desire to have the experience of the doing of the hard things. And I think that's I think that's useful. It's a useful context, right? And they say that money can't buy happiness, but that's not. I don't think that's hundred uh, percent true. And I think there's 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 a there's a lot of there's a lot of studies around it. It's like to some degree, uh, you know, your financial uh, health is going to dictate the degree to which you can experience life on your own terms. And and I think that that's important when you think about why are we doing any of this? And I'm, this is relevant to kind of think about the, the property thing, right? Because it's like when you go to invest in property, everyone has a goal of creating financial freedom. Great, cool. So like, so what is that? Why is that? What are you trying to achieve? You're trying to create a life where you can live life on your own terms, where you can strive in the way that you want to strive for the things that you want to strive for and you can have the experiences that you want. Now, if you are, if your economic means don't meet your desires, then there'll be a delta, which will cause dissatisfaction. Now, if your desires are such that you don't desire much, then your financial means don't need to be very high, right? So, um, but but as long you need, you need to find those two things in equilibrium. So, to, to, to and that's going to be based on values and based around a whole bunch of other stuff. And but like, there's going to be a point at which, on some individual level, a certain amount of money will get you to a certain amount of satisfaction. Um, or enable you to live life in a certain way, which will then give you a platform to then do other things that are going to that are going to create potentially more fulfillment in your life. And so, the pursuit of wealth is uh, is very useful. In fact, I think it's one of the critical features that you need to have in your life. Hence, why you know I'm really passionate about what we do. But it shouldn't be the defining thing. What do you, how do you think about this in your context? Yeah, I I agree with everything you're saying. I'm just sort of trying to process it all. <laughs> um, but, so I'm, on my, uh, I'm on my like sixth coffee today, so like you've got me, you've got me, you know, when everything's firing. So. Don't worry, I just had a triple shot latte. Don't <laughs> on the same path. Um, like it's actually it's interesting you say that, like with the pursuit of wealth and stuff like that, because like I even think about myself sort of over the last like six years, like since I've been living. Like me and Kate have been living in our own house together, and like I think about the stresses, like the financial stresses we had when we first bought, versus the position where we're in now. Like I don't think I'm completely financially stable, and like money still does worry me. But the things that worry me now are less than they were. So it sort of says to me, like without having too much, like look, we don't live extravagant lifestyle. Like we live a nice, comfortable lifestyle, but we're not like overly extravagant. Like we're not buying designer and all that sort of crap. But, like, we're comfortable enough, but it's, like, the next point that I want to go to, I know I need to change what I'm doing now to sort of get to that. But in the process of doing that, I don't want to sacrifice a relationship. So it's sort of, like, trying to find that balance of how you actually maintain the end goal while while getting the life that you think you both want. And, like, the number one thing I look at with money is time. So it's like where you sort of start off and like with compounding everything like that, like at first you're exchanging a lot more time for a lot less money. And then as your skills and stuff develop and as you get assets and you can create more leverage, then all of a sudden the ball just starts rolling. But if you're just constantly exchanging your time just for money and you're not building any sort of other pool, you just can't keep up with the pace. So you sort of get stuck in this trap. Like I even think about like, when I was younger, like 
when I was 18, like I was working in a family business and I was making all right money. And at the time I was like, yeah, sick. I'm just going to go out and get a $37,000 car because that's what you do and took out a shitload of finance on it again. <laughs> um, parents got divorced. How um, I didn't want to fuck my credit. So I basically just bounced around shitty jobs trying to make the car repayments because I didn't want to sell it out of pride, like on reflection. Um, but like when I think about it, I'm like, because I was doing that, I wasn't actually pursuing something that could have done a lot more for me in the long run. So I was too busy on exchanging time for money when I could have been learning a skill, creating leverage and like actually got that ball rolling faster. So then I could technically be further ahead now. But I suppose that's why we have conversations like this to help other people. Exactly. Yeah, it's super interesting, right? Because delayed gratification is really, really important. So I'm a big believer that you should be enjoying your life today. I don't think that you should live like a monk and, you know, all of this. I think, I think you know, to your point, life's finite. You never know when you're going to get kicked out of the theme park of all desires. And so, you know, you've got to make sure that you're enjoying the experience. That doesn't mean that you should live a hedonistic lifestyle. But the because the, I've tried that in my 20s, that also doesn't bring fulfillment. But the, the I'll shift gears in a second, but the idea of delayed gratification is really interesting because that is compounding as well. Because if you can delay gratification and um, that is going to start the wheel of compounding, i.e. so if you can put in effort to receive money and not seek to instantly just go and spend that on something that's like invest it, compound it, do all that kind of stuff. It teaches you that you don't need the things that you think that you desire. So it goes back to that desire piece, right? It actually shows you that you can live without the things that you desire, right? You can go, okay, actually, I don't need that. I don't need that sugar here. I don't need that dopamine rush, which... And so simultaneously what you're doing is you're taking the current energy that you've created, i.e. money, whatever, time, you're investing that, teaching yourself that you don't need the thing that you desire. Then later on, when all of those compounds come to fruition, you've already trained yourself to not need, to not desire as deeply and to less, be less reactive to your emotions and your responses. So that then when you have the financial capability to get all the things you desire, you actually have already trained yourself that you don't need the things you desire so that you can compound even further. So it's a very interesting flywheel effect that comes from just being able to, to do that. So I think there is like, there's a balance as well. Like you, you don't want to, I, I feel like the dichotomy with everything with this, it's because it's like, I feel like people hear these statements like you should have delayed gratification and then like you were saying, they don't actually enjoy life or they don't they do not do anything and they never get off that because then they go, oh, no, like the goal is to save, the goal is to do this, the goal is to do this and they're so fixed-minded on because they don't actually have a plan as to the direction they're trying to go in, they don't realise that for them to get to the next level in life to actually achieve what they want, that they actually need to elevate an element of their life to be in a different conversation circle to be in a different workplace like people's perceptions of you also frame up like look if you're dressing in clothes from salvos and you're walking into a multi-million dollar business meeting like conversation is not going to go too well yeah yeah so, is, so it's sort of it's sort of like you've got to find that balance between what's actually like real and what's not real but then i feel like some people like go too far the other way and they dip their toes in too hard to start and don't realize that it's like well, you've just sent yourself five steps backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun. it's funny, isn't it? It's like, yeah, you can end up you can end up end up sacrifice you can end up working to achieve. You can sa sacrifice the thing that you are working to achieve. So, for example, 
you might sacrifice your health just to work harder and make heaps more money, or you might sacrifice your relationship so you can work harder and make more money. Why are you working harder to make more money so that you can um, take care of your family better? But like, but you're, but then you lose your family because you've worked it. So, so, so yeah, you can end up anyway. I want to get, I want to get onto your property investing story because, because um, this is great context to have around it, but I'm also very interested to, to know, like, when did you start? I mean, you said you early on, you bought a car and stuff like that. When did you actually start getting interested in property investing and why? So I pretty much grew up on a construction site. So like, look, I was born down in Maui. Um, so me and mum down. No, you were born in Maui. Yeah. So born down in Maui. Then dad got a job at the at Western Maui Manildra up in the city. So he bought a house up in Oakley, and then we were sort of commuting between Oakley and Maui. Mum grew up in Glen Huntley, so she hated the city. Dad grew up in Maui, so he hated the country. And like after sort of living apart for a couple of years, he's gone, look, part of my run, like I go down the peninsula and he goes, I actually think it's this perfect middle ground. Like we're only an hour away from the city, like we can get space, we can get time, we can get all this. So he decided to build the dream house, which was a ridiculously large property. It was a nine bedroom, seven bathroom house. Um, And he tried to do that as an owner builder on weekends. Um, So yeah, he bit off a lot. (laughs) Yeah, how long did that take? Uh, we lived in a shed for seven years while he was building it. <laughs> and it got to the point where I just cracked the shits and moved into the house before it was finished. Like it got to a point where we could move in and that's when we moved into it. Um, so like, but like one of the craziest like things that I realized, like when I realized there was a lot of money in property was like, I saw him cycle through the Oakley house and I think he made $200,000 on that in like three years or something like that. And then with this place, when he was building it, I'd say about three years into it, like all the brickwork and everything was up and this random guy comes up the driveway and offers him three mil for the house. And I've gone, okay, shit, like there's actually, there's money in this. And then so like I was always like interested in like building design property. Like there was just, I just sort of was influenced by it growing up. Um, Realised there was money in it. So then I was sort of like looking at houses and stuff like that online. But then like I remember going to the bank one day just taking some money in and they said to me like, oh, you should probably start looking to buy a house. And I said to him, I was like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I'm like, I want to travel. I want to do all this sort of stuff first. But they said to me, they're like, they're like, oh yeah, but now I think about it. I'm like, I sort of wanted what I thought other people wanted me to want. So I was like, I was interested in property. Like I wanted to buy a house. I had the bank pretty much offering me money to an 18 year old. Like they were trying to set up a meeting and I just sort of snubbed it off. And I thought about like something else because like I thought that's what was normal. And then so it sort of comes like I didn't actually do all the things that I said I wanted to do anyway. Um, yeah. Then yeah, me and Kate bought a PPR in 2017. Um, well, we're both working for people. Um, that place went up a, like we've done multiple renos to it. Um, so it's, yeah. Which buy for? Five thirty-seven, mm-hmm. and then twenty seventeen. Yeah, whereabouts was that roughly? Mornington. Yeah. So we got. Then I started listening to your content um, through a rabbit hole. Like it always, I was always interested in property. Um, I was speaking to like brokers and stuff like that about it, and then they were sort of saying to me, "Oh, you need this, you need this, you need this," and I was thinking to myself, "I'm like." You're full of shit. I'm like, I know people in my position buy houses. I'm like, <laughs> I know people with houses, like with multiple properties. I'm like, I know they haven't bought seven houses in a year. I'm like, so it's like they've been building this over a period of time. I'm like, so 
you can't do it, but I'm like, I know somebody else can. So then I kept asking more and more people and sort of went down a rabbit hole and finally found somebody that I worked with really, really well. And we came up with a plan um, as to sort of how to get some money in like the way I've sort of looked at property and like loans for the start. I've always spoke to people a period of time before I started. So I find out where the goalposts are and then I know where to kick the ball. So I, like when we bought our first house, I spoke to that broker a year and a half beforehand when we we're looking for rental properties because a rental agent said to me, you sound like you got your head screwed on straight. I want you to speak to this broker. You actually might be able to get a loan or he'll just be able to point you in the right direction. So I did that. We just explained the situation and he said, get this much money, have this many pay slips and like don't have debt basically. <laughs> and he goes, then I can, then I can get you a house. So I followed the same sort of scenario with this guy where I was like, okay, I'm going to find out what the goalposts are. I'm going to find out what we need to do. And then when the, when I meet those sort of metrics, then I'll come back to you and then we'll kick the ball and we'll do what we need to do. And yeah, so I did that and started talking to you guys. Yeah. And so that's a big jump though. 2017, you bought the, bought the first property. Were you instantly, were you instantly like, right, I'm going to be a property investor or was it just like, Hey, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, ne- I'm a nester. I'm going to add value to it. Like what was the thinking? What was the mindset at the time? Look, I, my perception on properties changed over time. So like when I first bought a house, like I always thought like your house was like your biggest investment and all this sort of stuff. And then like everybody who's listened to Robert Kiyosaki and stuff, you find out the house isn't actually an asset. I disagree with that because a house has got extractable equity. So as much as it's not producing you cash flow, it is still a store of wealth that's accumulating in value. So if, yeah, like our- I, 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 I agree with you, by the way. I'll just jump in here really quickly because like a lot of people think that- um that like buying a home is not is not the same as buying an investment, but but it is. And the way that you could prove this heuristically is if you said to someone who was going to buy a home, hey, this property is going to go down by 20% over the next 12 months, would they still buy that home? Probably not. Because v- vice versa, if you said it was going to go up by 20%, how would they feel, right? And so it's like, it's not just an emotional thing. It's also, it's also a wealth decision. And so, it, you know, I, I consider anyone who buys property to be an investor. But like, even on the topic of like a wealth decision, like, when we bought this house, like I never actually, I feel like a lot of younger people now want the thing. They want the four bedrooms. They, they like we're talking about delayed gratification before. They, yeah, like, it's like you sort of got this perception of like, we, like, we want this, we want this, this is how the house should be. I'm going to hold on to it forever and that's going to be perfect. So they go take a million dollars worth of debt or fucking $1.2 million worth of debt and they screw themselves up. Where I looked at and I've gone, okay, this is a location I want to live in. This is what I know we can afford at the time. Like we had a half million dollar mortgage, so I think it was six hundred dollars a week. So I'm like, that's on par with rent. So I'm like, we're going to be paying slightly more in the property, um, but we're working towards something. So that was the way I sort of looked at it. Was like, I know the market's going up. I know I've got control over it. And then we bought an old 1970s unit that the day I bought it, I ripped the carpet up and put my foot through the wall. Like after after <laughs> after having it that's for, a funny way to celebrate after having it for a week i'll never forget this point of standing in the corner of the living room where i knocked four walls out getting ready to put lvl up in the ceiling with just framework and plaster everywhere thinking oh shit i don't know what i'm doing right now <laughs> <laughs> i realized just how deep i was in but i was in that deep that i knew i couldn't get out of it so it was either sink or swim and 
yeah, talk to people who can help you out. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, I'm curious to know, like, so you, you started by buying a home. Yep. And if I'm hearing you correctly, as much as anything, that was a, a lifestyle choice, right? Because you were like, hey, we're going to, yep. And then at some point you pivoted to, okay, now I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about all of this from an investment and wealth perspective. I, and I'm interested to know a little bit more about that transition, like where and why did that happen specifically? But then also I'd love to know, based on what you know now, do you think that buying your PPR first was a good idea or would you have been better off rent vesting? I'll answer the second question first because I think that's a pretty relevant topic at the moment. Um, for, us, for us at the time, it was the right thing. For somebody else who's listening to this, it depends where you are and what your circumstances are. Like where we were two people on full-time wages with no kids. So we were in a position where we were fortunate enough to sort of have the right choices. I know that property is accumulating at a faster rate. Like inflation on property is higher than inflation and wage increases. So you're going to get priced out of the market. So the way I sort of look at it is, well, the game the game's changing, to be honest with you. Um, but I'll talk about that in a minute. But, yeah, the way I sort of looked at it was, like, right now, if I was somebody else and I needed to try and buy a house, or even take our house, for example, this is a better way to explain it. I'm sorry for rambling. We're not living in the house that I want to live in. This isn't the end game. I, but I know for me to get to the house that I want to live in, I'm going to have to make some investment decisions along the way. The safest way that I know how to do that is through property, and that's because I believe in property. I dabbled with shares, and I thought shares are a good introduction to property. Like, you can make a few good wins, and I bought some shares during COVID, and like anybody during COVID, you could make money just by wiping your hands across the keyboard because <laughs> the market was fluctuating that much. And then all of a sudden, I thought I was a share trader. And I've pretty much broke even four years later now. <laughs> and those two shares that I had a win on at the start is what's holding up my entire portfolio. Um, so then I thought I was like, okay, I'm shit at that. So what's another asset class? Property. Okay, property's scary, so I need to leverage my way into it. And I can't afford to save for a deposit. So I sort of saw the timing in the market and then I leveraged our property for the deposits because I've gone, okay, the fastest way for us to get back in is to leverage against my house to get back into the market again. So, yeah, whether you should rent vest or whether you should buy a PPR, like, look, if, you re if your rental cost is on par with a house that you can afford to live in, so, like, you look, if, you're a, if you've got two kids and two parents and, like, living in a two-bedroom unit is probably not that suitable for you. So if you can find a property where the rent is on par with the mortgage, then I'd personally buy a PPR. But if you're in a position where you can only afford to buy a $300,000 house to get into the property market so that you can buy your four-bedroom house, I'd suggest rent vesting because it's like instead of delaying where you're at, it's like, well, you can, you can technically do both and you can actually get your foot in that rung. And I think that's where a lot of younger people need to look now. Like they need to look at more of an entry point as to like a lot of people bish about the past, but the past has happened. Like, Yeah, 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 yeah. You ain't changing that. Yeah, like you, when you look at like even the way the market's sort of gone, like, so go back 50 years when you could buy a house for $20,000. It was three times annual salary for one person. Then the market doubled and then it was three times annual salary of two people. So that's why women typically started working more. Then you fast forward another 20 years and then it went six times. So then the next cycle became two people on a side hustle. 
and now it's like two people a side hustle doesn't do shit. So now it's like two people a side hustle and investments is what actually get you to move the needle forward. So it's like as much as the property prices are compounding, so is the way that we need to purchase property. So look, you, you can't look at it in a lens of like, oh, this is so unfair. Like I, I can't do this. You've just got to look at the game as to what it is right now and what you actually want. It's the second time you mentioned the game and a second ago you said the game is changing. What did you mean by that? Exactly what I just explained then. The way that you need to do things to get the outcome changes with time. So like I was listening to one of your podcasts, like really, really early one, and you spoke about how uh, public housing and the government's current contribution was, I think, 3% at the time. So with the concept of housing is a human right, it is a human right, but that's a basic fundamental level for shelter. Like everybody deserves shelter. Looking at properties with flat screen TVs and like nice shit in them, like that's that's not a basic necessity. Like that's a that's a luxury. So when I talk about the game, it's like, well, the lifestyle you want to live is sort of what I look at as like the game. So if like I want to live in Red Hill, like that's Red Hill Shore, it's two to five million dollar entry, entry point. I can't save that much money to get into that property market. <laughs> so the way I need to approach my entry point needs to change to get into what I want for my life. Yeah. Yeah, and it's super interesting, right? Because it's very easy to to kind of complain and say, oh, well, you know, when my parents bought property, this is what life was like. It's like, yeah, but you're not your parents. You're not living there. Like, it's like, what game are you currently playing? What are the rules? Right. And, and get on with it, basically, because everyone can achieve everything they want. They're just going to start to actually look at what game they're playing to actually participate in it. It's, it's kind of how I think about it. I mean, I'm a and great It's really sad. Like, it's, a, it's really sad the way that it's going. Like, I don't, I'm not, I don't, look, I feel sympathy for people in the position because it's, you're starting further back. Yeah, you are starting further back. But, it, it, like, you know, I, I just, I have a huge amount of empathy for, for, for people who are not in the place in life where they want to be. I, I truly, I genuinely do. Uh, and, you know, I am really passionate about trying to lift people up and, you know, but this idea that um, building wealth is for the lucky few is just phenomenally stupid. You know, there's just like, there, there's just so much money sloshing around in the world. And the only difference between the people who go and work out how to go and get it and the people who don't is they realize that, that they can go and get it. You know, there's, you can understand, okay, well, how would I get to this position if I wanted to? And then go and do that. Most people are just stuck with their own mindset. And I think it sucks. But I also believe that if anyone can change their position in three to five years. I, and I am an example of that. You know, like five years ago, I was fucking on my, living on my office floor. And it's, I'm not. And you got to two stuff. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, right? So, you know, exactly. We've got – and it's – I'm not a magician and I'm not actually that special. And so I think that anyone can do it. I think it's about giving people the tools to be able to do it and and the, re the realisation that, you know, it's still possible and it's going to be possible long into the future. It's just about how you work out how to play the game, I think, is the most important thing. Yeah, that's – yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Okay, I wanted to ask now about your uh, investment because um, how many investment properties have you got now? You've got your PPR and then... PPR and we've got a property dashed up purchase for us in WA. Perfect. And you're on track to buy another investment property. I want to talk about the property that we bought uh, together with you bought with, uh, with Dashdot. 
So I've got some of the numbers here. Do you mind if I read out some of these numbers? Go for it, mate. So we bought that property about, it settled about nine months ago, or at least that's when we got the value. We got the valuation nine months after it settled. That's probably the better way of putting it because I think it was a little more than like nine months ago now. Purchased for $359,000, gross yield of 6.2%. The October 2023 bank val that we got from CBA, $460,000, which means that it's grown by 28.13%, which is actually, and to put it in other words, it's $101,000, or to put it in a different way, a 72.19% return on invested capital. Now, you mentioned yourself, you've invested in shares, you've done all this other kind of stuff, you've got your business, you've got to like, like you're someone who's out there trying to like, trying to play the game, right? You're like, okay, how do we, how do we do, what's the best way I can kind of, how do you feel when you hear those nine months Nine months, it's made you $101,000 or a 72% return on invested capital. How do you feel when you hear those numbers? I think about my job and I think about how much I have to bust my balls to make that much money. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of a slap in the face, but it's also motivational um, because, yeah, I look at it and I go, okay, well, like getting to a point where you can have property that's accumulating at this rate like, look, it's not going to be at this rate forever. Like, it, things will stabilise, things will do their thing, but that's sort of where you change where you're purchasing. You, you change what you're doing. But, yeah, when I look at that, I go, well, that seems like a much better, freer way to create security for myself and my family where we have choices, where we have options. Like, it's scary as hell to do it at the time. Like, but when I look at those sort of numbers, I go, is it worth it? I'm like... Yeah, I think I think that's worth it. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about the fear. You said it's scary as hell to do at the time. What did you mean by that? Scary as hell um, deciding to invest or like just going like talk talk me through that. Talk me through where the fear where where you felt the fear and also how you got, how you got over it. Uh, you feel it in every element, to be honest with you. Um, so like I remember like when we first got our mortgage, like we were living at home beforehand. So like we're living with Kate's parents and we had no overheads. I paid a hundred dollars a week in rent. Like it was, it was easy. And then it goes, okay, so now you're going to take on $550,000 worth of debt. It's like, cool. Now I've got to make sure I can find this much money per week. I've never done that before. And you go, oh shit, I've got this much debt. Like our life's going to be over. We're not going to be out. We're going to be eating two-minute noodles. We're going to be doing this. We're going to be doing this. Like, we can't do anything. We've got a house. And then after about six months, we sort of realize, oh, it's actually not that different. <laughs> like, you're a bit more stressed about money and you're a bit more worried about it to start with, but then you just realize that you sort of adjust and adapt as it sort of comes. So then when I look at the next one, like, again, it was like, okay, we're going to take out risk against our own property to then try and do that again. Like, look, to be honest with you, I wanted to invest locally. And why didn't you? Because I started listening to your content and it made a lot more sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, the amount of people that I had saying to me, WO is a mining town, you invest locally because you can drive around and look at the house. Like, there's nothing to give you more peace of mind than being able to drive around there and see that. But then I thought about it and I was like, this is a financial decision. Like there is nothing more to this than a financial decision. Like this is a wealth building strategy for me. And if you've got a rental property, it is illegal for you to enter that property without prior notice. So what, you're going to be a creep driving by people's houses and- Yeah, peeking in the freaking curtains. Yeah, yeah, peering, yeah. 
And even if you do that, what are you going to do? Like knock on the window and be like, oh, you clean that shit up. Like you can't, you can't do anything with it. So it's like having it in a position where it's like not even near me is almost better because it's like I feel no emotion towards the property. It's just they're doing its thing. And like to people that say, oh, investors are like fucking the market and like you're doing this. I'm not artificially inflating the price. Like we pay market value for it and that's the current market value for it. And the prices the, are driven by homeowners anyway, like not property investors. Well, it's so. supply, supply and demand, like it's driven by everyone. Like yeah, as but, much yeah, as, but homeowners typically make up about seventy percent oh, yeah. of the market. Right? Oh, yeah, so and they so, push they push prices up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And because they're making emotionally driven decisions, they tend to infl- they they tend to be the ones that are prepared to pay more because it's, they've got FOMO. So it tends to raise. So it's like yeah, and, and investors are actually the ones that are providing actual accommodation for renters and stuff so you know yeah so that, that's where i find that whole topic yeah interesting but yeah like yeah to be honest with you like i love the asset class i love the fact that i can employ people to sort of work on the property that all sort of have everything together like when you've got when you've got a good team like look, don't get me wrong like everyone's heard horror stories and like shit goes wrong but what in life doesn't have any associated risk? <laughs> Speaking of team, let me ask you, right? Because you you bought your own home, you did that yourself, you renovated it, you added value to it, you made money in it. So ostensibly, you could very well sit there and say, right, I've I've walked through the flame. I know what I'm doing now. I've I've done it. I've bought it. We're making money. We're good. Why did you feel that it was the right decision for you? To work with Dashdot, like like that's a it's a big leap, right? To then go do that. So why did you do that? So like again, like if I'm looking locally at a property, my median house price is eight hundred thousand dollars. My median unit price is about six fifty seven hundred. So I go okay, I can't get the borrowing capacity for that. And then you hear stories about people going, oh, you're just buying like this tiny little country town, and then everything goes up. But yeah, again, like. Going back to listening to your content, like sort of realized that purchase, like just purchasing something cheap doesn't ensure that it's going to go up in value. And like one of the other things that like from your more recent content that I really liked is like talking about where properties sit in the cycle. So if you've got, if you say property doubles in value every seven to 10 years, that doubling might actually happen in two years. So you might buy in at the peak thinking, oh shit, this thing's hot as hell. And because you're looking at data that's in front of you that's already happened, you're not looking at predictive data, you're making a reactive decision when you should be making a proactive decision. So I don't have access to the tools that you guys have got. I don't have access to the resources that you guys have got. I can jump on realestate.com and go, fuck, there's a cheap house in a growing suburb. But I don't know enough about that suburb. Like I could tell you everything about where I live and tell you the best place to buy a house for lifestyle or like a really good place to buy for um, Airbnb or a really good place to buy for all this sort of stuff. I could tell you that. I live here. I've lived here for 20 years. But that's not Australia-wide. I don't know that. <laughs> and so based on what you've learned over your – like, you know, you, you, you've actually sort of – you've had exposure to the, the whole kind of property schema for some time, as you mentioned – you know, you, you you were looking at your dad um, going through his his journey, uh, the Oakley property, and then building, and then you've done your own thing, and now you've bought a property that's that's made you a hundred grand in nine months. So you've had a, you've got this like really interesting tapestry of experiences to draw from. So it'd be interesting to know like what lessons you've learned along the way. Like, what do you know now that you wish you knew, or some advice that you could give to somebody else? What, what's the biggest lesson you've learned? 
Um, uh, the first one I'll make about interest rates. So if you're worried about a current interest rate, think to yourself, does the inflation rate and the property growth rate outweigh that interest rate? So like you take like the next property we're looking at. So like the predicted numbers that I was presented by you guys was we were going to be out of pocket $18,000 in the first year. That's before any like tax deductions or anything like that. And like inquiries of everything, that's absolute worst case scenario. That's how much that property is going to cost us. Now, the way I look at that is I go, okay, as long as we can financially afford that after we work out what the tax deductions and everything are, because it actually becomes substantially lower than $18,000 when you work out what it is, does the rate of inflation that's expected outpace that cost? And well, you look at this property here and we go, okay, well, we made $100,000 in nine months. So even if we come out at $50,000, half that, we're still ahead of where we were. So if we were to try and purchase that same property in 12 months when our situation had got better or the interest rates had lowered or like something else had changed, we'd be in a worse off position than when we started. It's like when I bought my PPR, for example, it was when the um, first home buyer scheme for stamp duty came in. And it was going to come in on September and we're all like, we're so jigged up. We're like, yes, we don't need to pay stamp duty. Like we're going to save like $25,000 or $20,000. Like it's going to be so much easier. Like my sister-in-law had to pay it. And it turns out everybody else had that idea as well. Um, and the whole market got absolutely flooded full of first home buyers trying to purchase around the same price as us. And a house that was going for 400 suddenly bumped up 150 grand. So it's like, the problem with these government schemes is as much as it's an incentive to buy, it actually inflates the property prices because if you've got like $20,000 in additional income because you couldn't borrow stamp duty at the time, um, that then increases your borrowing capacity by like 100, 150 grand. So now all those people can afford to put, because of supply demands, they can afford to put higher prices forward to try and win properties. Like we lost out on about 15 houses when we were trying to buy. Like it was just, it was absolutely insane. And like you're listening to like your parents and like friends, like older people that you're trying to take advice off that are not actively purchasing property. And they're all saying, oh, you're, you offer 15% below like what the minimum ask price is and all this. And I'm like, that's not the game. I'm like, the game's 10% above that top asking price. I'm like, <laughs> you get laughed out of the room if you, if you offer anything below top ask. So it's like, where you think you're going to be kicking goals and you're going ahead, like sometimes it's actually counterintuitive. So like right now, like with the most recent rate bump, like I shit myself. And like, like you said, like I sort of prepped for this podcast and the prep actually was sort of what gave me a bit of clarity around my decision because I was saying to myself, I was like, I don't know if I can afford this. Is this going to be wrong? And then I wrote the question out and the answer and it was like, well, I'm happy to give what was somebody. The, what was the what was the question and what was the answer? Give, um, give it to us. Uh, how do you uh, sorry? How do you think of property investing in this time of rising interest rates um, in general and uncertainty? And yeah, I spoke about the rate of inflation beating the rate of interest, yep. and does it make financial sense? Because this is an emotional decision; it's a financial decision. And when I wrote that answer out, like word for word, what I wrote was, I honestly think rate rises um, drop, but property's been a steady increase. Actually, yeah, sorry. Interest rates are variable. Property rates have steadily inflated over the past. Um, if you can make the repayments, now's the best time to invest. 
And why do you think now is the best time to invest though? Because depending on where you're purchasing a property and the tools that you've got access to mm. and you're going off the rule of properties or inflating it, oh, like pro- property is not included in the consumer price index. Mm. So if you're saying that inflation's at 10%, but you're looking at property prices that are jumping 24% in nine months, mm. or is it, it's outpacing inflation. So realistically on a... Again, like I know they're like unrealistic numbers. Like most people are shooting for ten to fifteen percent. You guys are hitting. Well, yeah, I mean the long term average is like seven, it's like seven percent. And 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 just to be clear, not everyone, not everyone does get twenty eight percent. It was an it was outstanding result. Like, yeah, and that's why like awesome. I'm trying, and that's why I'm trying to downplay it and sort of like level it out to be like say fifteen or ten or something like that. Something that's. More attainable on average. Yeah, on average, we get about sixteen percent in the first twelve months across 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 yeah, everything. which still beats one of the highest interest rates you're going to get. Yeah, so it's like if property prices are going up at say sixteen percent annually, and even if interest is at nine percent, you're still making a seven percent spread on your money. Mm. Yeah, it's such a it's such a good way to think about it, and 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 I think that if people can break it down logically like that, because most of the time, emo- like the emotion or the fe- fear is based around uncertainty, right? It's like, oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? I'm scared. There's lots of unknowns, and so the best way to overcome fear is to use deductive logic. Okay, well, let me kind of break this down. Let me try and understand all the component elements of it, and let's see if I can get this to make sense. And if you can't get it to make sense, don't do it. But if you can get it to make sense, well, then all of a sudden you can do it. You can do so without the fear because you've logically, you know, removed it away. And given that it is a financial decision, you've also then got to look at like what is the what is the uh, inverse effect? Okay, so let's say um, you choose to do nothing. So then, what is the inverse effect of that? Well, your cash is going to devalue by the rate of inflation. Okay, so doing nothing doesn't mean that you stay the same. Doing nothing means you go backwards by the rate of inflation, right? And then also, if you then compare that to the rate of property inflation, then you're actually devaluing at that rate, right? So, so on the one hand, let's say that let's say the the CPI inflation rate is seven percent, and you've got a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. Okay, well then you're going to lose seven thousand dollars. Great. But if you're, but if the alternative to, because um, you're not going to, you're not going to invest in the consumer price index. You're going to invest in something like real estate. And if the if the real estate price inflation rate is twenty percent, well then in effect, by not participating, you've devalued your hundred grand by twenty thousand dollars. And so you've really got to trade that off because it's it's not even a case of like, it's sort of like even if all you did was keep your money at rising at the rate of inflation, right? Even if that was all you did, right? And and you didn't actually make a spread like you were talking about, you would still be winning. And that's uh and it's an interesting kind of breakdown to to kind of to kind of think it through. The other consideration like, even on the topic have, of fear on. that you're talking about. Yeah. Like I feel like a lot of people's fear and like generalizations around stuff like people say that oh yeah the property market's decreased by three percent. Yeah, on average. And when you've got a suburb like Turak, for example, that's dramatically inflating the price, that drops the total average. So when you hear stuff on the media, it's like, where are you actually, like, how specific is this information to you? Because it's not specific to everywhere. Like, that's a generalization because they don't have time to go through every single suburb and say, well, this suburb went up by this much and this suburb went up by this much. Like, I have to work averages. And then the next thing around the fear, it's like, well, is the fear your own or is the fear coming from somebody else's insecurity? So it's like, if you've got somebody that loves you that's genuinely doesn't want you to fail, 
they're going to be more fear averse. So it's like if you're talking about investing in a time of inflation when things are uncertain, they're going to be saying, oh, are you sure it's the best idea? And because we've got confirmation bias as people, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at that information going, oh, fuck, maybe they actually are right. And so it's like you you build on your own fears based off the sort of people that you're talking to. And like, look, you need to take everything with a grain of salt. Like, don't dismiss what they're saying. Like, it's not to say that you need to be overly positive and fucking sunshine and rainbows about everything. Like, yeah, pra- you need to be pragmatic. Yeah, your opinion needs to be based off, like, a com- like your opinion is a combination of everybody else's opinions with your own thoughts. So it's like that's how you formulate your path. Like nobody successful has just gone off an advisor's opinion. Like they've they've led the decision based on advice from other people and they've made an informed decision for their life because the person who's giving you the advice, it's like well, it's not actually their life that they're trying to advise. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yours. There, there always has to be a very high degree of personal accountability. It's like at the end of the day, it's your decision. I've got one final question because I'm mindful of time that we're running a little bit over. But um, I've got one final question. I'd love your candid thoughts on this. If someone is sitting on the fence at the moment, wondering whether or not they should get started investing, get started working with Dashdot, whatever the case may be, but if someone's sitting there humming and hiring and going, ah, I'm just not sure, what, what advice would you give them? So I've got a few points on this. If you're trying to purchase a property by yourself, are you going to look at what you would want for your own life or are you going to look at it purely from the investment basis? So having another set of eyes on your investments and just focusing on growth, not focusing on how a property looks, where it sits, what it does. It's it's not a house that you would want to live in. It is a financial decision. So having somebody else make that decision or, or present that opportunity to you is probably going to be a better financial decision than something that you would find. Um, the next one is, do you actually understand where a growth, what the property growth curve is and where certain properties sit in that curve at that time? Because I don't have access to that data. I'm not spending millions of dollars a year on software like your company is. <laughs> um, so then, uh, then after that, like the next question I ask myself, like if I'm working with an advisor, I say, how's that company getting paid? So, you guys like you're not inflating the property market you're not doing anything like that you guys get paid off your clients having success and off repeat business so like as much as you guys do charge a premium for your service you make your real money through repeat business you're trying to build people with five six ten property portfolios and you want that reoccurring revenue you're not after just like a lump and then see you later because you actually haven't seen any results so it's like your incentive is actually to provide high quality value for your clients. So if you're not getting the value, you're not going to be in business. Um, then uh, if you're on the fence about ethical issues, just actually ask yourself, like the people that are saying they can't afford to buy a property, like are they actually in a position to buy the house or are they just complaining about it? <laughs> so it's like, even if they, like even if you weren't to buy that property, do they have the money in the bank? Do they have access to the finance? Do they have that? Like you purchasing that property, you're putting it up for rent, giving somebody else access to a property to live in. Like there's nothing unethical about what's happening. Again, like you guys aren't out there saying, buy this land development, do this, do this, do this, and artificially pumping up suburbs through, like you're not doing a pump and dump strategy like was happening on the share market. Like it's a specific tailored property on a specific street in a specific suburb. Like 
there is no artificial inflation that's caused by tricky marketing or anything like that. The entire time I've worked with you guys, you've never actually tried to sell me on something. Like the first three meetings when I signed up were free. So it was like, you've got the initial one, which was like 15, and then you've got like an hour where you actually go through everything, build out a plan that's tailored for you. Because it's like the way that you purchase properties is going to change depending on what your goals are. So if you don't have somebody that can help build that roadmap for you, you're probably going to stuff up the roadmap and the sequence that you need to purchase the properties in. So by working with people that have done this before, it's like, well, you don't need to get to a position where you buy yourself a million dollar investment property and then realize you capped it out on borrowing capacity and you can't actually afford to buy anything else. And that property, as much as it's positive cash flow, it's not doing anything for you. It's not actually what you need at that point in your life. So it's like the property you purchase is dependent on where you are in the journey. So unless you have all that shit mapped out and you know what you're doing, which I'm assuming first-time investors don't unless they're ridiculously educated. And Even seasoned investors don't usually. Yeah, but like it's like unless they've got like, yeah, it's just all this like insane information, how are, they, how are you meant to put yourself in a position? Like by using you guys, like you're just giving yourself an unfair advantage. That's, that's pretty much all it comes down to. And like if you don't believe what I'm saying, go back and listen to the content during COVID. Go back and listen to the original content. Have a look at it and see if any sales pitches were given during that entire time. Not a single sales pitch was ever done. It was always geared around personal development, finding yourself, creating a life for yourself and giving you the tools to help change your thought processes to allow you to want to create freedom for yourself. There is no like buy this area, do this. It's, it's not influential at all. So that's my take on it. You're an ethical, you're an ethical property buying agency. Love that. Thanks. I really appreciate that. It's, a, it's lots of very kind words in there. I really, really appreciate that um, ma- massively. I mean, I, 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 I'm not a property guy. Like I'm not a, I didn't wake up one day and think, oh, yeah, you know what I want to do? I want to be in property. It's like, there's just this, I just say there's a really fantastic path for people to be able to create the life they want. And that's what it's all about at the end of the day. That's, that's the entire function. This is the entire purpose of anything. And as kind of how we started the whole, um, the whole episode was actually like, well, what is, what is this all about? Um, I've got a question for you as well. Yeah, I was going to say, if you've got, you've got a couple, if you, you can have a couple if you want. When, when you're looking like, you're a very well-rounded person. Um, so when you're looking for information, like how do you sort of like, uh, the most SEO'd information is the worst information. Like when you're looking at like information for net, like trying to find quality networking groups to hang out with people and learn about this sort of stuff or source information or like, find out about property or like do anything to actually like help you. Like I I think the key to all this sort of stuff is you've got to find like security in your decisions. So it's like, where, where do you sort of look to find this information or find these groups of people where you can get better ideas and be able to ask better questions and have smarter conversations? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I utilize net time as much as possible, no extra time. So I always find ways to consume information and i think you might do this as well um whilst i'm doing other things right now and and the the idea is i want to consume lots of information like i'm a i'm a big information consumer i'm shoveling it in there all the time and what i'm looking for is i'm looking for threads because you're right, like, like if you want to go find out something about a topic, the first thing you Google, right, or YouTube video, you try and find it, whatever, it's probably 
not the it's probably not going to have all the answers. It's right? spooky salesy bullshit. Like that's yeah, what but what is. you can find in there is you might hear one thing and you go, okay, that's interesting. I want to know more about that little one thing, that thread. And so then you go and research that thread. You might go, you might go listen to three or four or five podcasts on that, and then you might hear a couple of other threads. And you go, and, and it's just about finding these threads, thread, 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 thread. And it's having the curiosity to want to continue to seek out what those uh, things are. I mean, on any given day or week, I'll consume um, content as varied as you know quantum physics through to uh, business and marketing through to is that through um, like audio or audio or reading or like what what's the sort of yeah i used to i taking? used to read i used to read a lot of physical books but um traveling around uh, i i found it's a lot easier to to use net time no extra time if i'm if i'm consuming audio so it's typically podcasts audio books or youtube videos but i'm not really watching the youtube videos i i just i listen to them or if i happen to be on a uh, treadmill or something like that. I might watch the video on my on my phone or whatever. But it's it's not really about the video as much as it is about the audio. Um, and again, what I, I'm looking for, I'm looking for little nuggets. You know, it's like I'm I'm just looking for those little nuggets that make me go, oh, what's that thing? I don't know what that is. That's really that's that's when that's when something picks up my ears. It's like, ah, oh, what do they mean by that acronym? What is that acronym? Oh, let me go and research that. And then I just use that to continue to pull on threads and pull on threads and pull on threads. And then eventually what you end up with is you just end up with this huge, big, you know, coalescence of, of information that starts to bounce off each other. But we talked about compounding earlier. That compounds over time. It's not like you go do that this week. It's like I've been doing that. Like I've been consuming, geez, I, 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 I don't know, like a lot. I've been, I've been just like voraciously consuming information nonstop for like six years, right? And so, and so uh, in, in a wide variety of topics. And so... Uh, that over time creates that kind of compound. And so the threads that I'm pulling on now, they're like maybe like 15 levels deep at the moment because I've already done, like I've already gone, pulled the threads on layer one in most of the things and then pulled the threads on layer two. And so now for me to find something new to learn, I'm, 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 in, I'm actually digging around in the bottom like ah, okay, no, no, I already know what that is. And what that is, so I'm looking for the I'm looking for the obscure things that I don't know anything about anymore. Um, not to and say that I like, know everything, but it's just. And what like about just, networking and people? Like, is that just through like LinkedIn or just through general relationships or through your business or like? Is, is I don't like really a, network very much. I'm a hermit. You talk, you talk to a lot of like through like your Wild Goose Chase podcast. Like, yeah, I access- just reach out to them. Yeah. Oh, you just cold reach out to people. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, 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 so there's, there's, there's two ways, right? So number one is pay for access, right? And so if there's someone that you want to get close to, the best thing you can do is pay for access, right? And so what I mean by that, it's like, Hey, do they have a, do they, do they, do they offer one to one coaching? Could even just be one off? Um, do they have a mastermind? Is there some, what, is there something you can do to put yourself close to them? So there's like some of my mentors uh, from the US, like Roland Frazier, Ryan Dice or whatever. That's what I did. I was like, hey, I want to get close. I want to get close to those guys. I want, I want what they've got. I've been lucky enough to, you know, fly on a private jet with Roland Frazier and do all this kind of stuff. Why? Because I paid for access, got close, then built a relationship when I got close, right? It's just, it's like, and the way you build a relationship is you find a way to, to make them feel valued. It's not just about giving them things, but also giving them the opportunity to add value to you because it's where most successful people get the most out of it. Yeah, outside so of surface, that, it's not surface level; like it's genuine. Yeah, relationships. Yeah, 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 exactly. And um, 
other people though, like um, John D. Martini, uh, Trevor Blake, uh, you know, numerous others, literally just email them. Like most people just don't. Yeah, most people, most people just don't. How did I get John D. Martini's email address? Uh, I Google searched John D. Martini's email address. <laughs> right. That's most people awesome. just. Most people just don't. actually, actually, to, to be fair, I might have actually used a program called Rocket Reach, but that actually helps you. To, but literally, just got the email address and sent an email. Hey, John, I'm a big fan. Uh, you know, I've seen you talk here. You had this impact on this person that I know. I'd love to have you on the podcast. Any chance you're up for that? Yes, yes, I'd love to. So mo- most people just don't take the time to do it. So I, 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 I um, yeah, my, my natural state is to not socialize. My natural state is not to network and not to do all that kind of stuff. But um, I'm also not backwards about it. It's like, just reach out to someone. Just send them an email. Just ask. Like, if you don't ask, you don't get. And I think that's where, I think that's where most people have gone wrong. Like, you can have anything you want in life. All you need to do is just decide what it is and ask. Just, okay, what do you want? Great. And so I think that if, um, and most people get in their head, they're like, oh, I could never do that. Oh, such and such as, it's like, I've had a lot, the amount of people who have responded to me that I still haven't had the picked up the like. There's loads of people who are like, "Hey, we'd love to come and have a chat with you," but I put the podcast on pause and stuff. So that people want to share. In fact, successful people particularly want to share. Um, you just need to be able to articulate how you're going to help them as well, whether it be to give them a platform to share a message, or whether you want to participate in something they've got or, or whatever. So yeah, the equal value, yeah. Yeah, well, it's never going to be equal. Oh, yeah, but like... It's not, never going not, to be equal, but yeah. you just need to show that you're putting in some effort. Because if it's yeah. just like, hey, I want this from you, can you... Yeah. The, 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 the worst thing, because I get people ask me stuff all the time. I get people send me messages all the time. And uh, if someone ever says, hey, uh, are you free for a coffee? Because I'd love to pick your brain. I'm just like, I'm not even responding. Like, like that just to me... I've had people who've reached out to me and said... I love what you've built with your business. I'd like to try and emulate that. Can I get a coffee and pick your brain? I'm like, what? So you want me to just, like, sorry, what? Tell, tell you how I did everything word yeah, by okay, word just give you my give, SOPs. Yeah, yeah, give you five years of learning. What the hell? Yeah. Um, but if somebody else, but if somebody reaches out and says, um, and, and, and the ask isn't to like, like they're, they're like, hey, can I get some, I need some help understand this or whatever. And like, if I can add value, and if, particularly if I can do it, I see you're going to say, I'd love to. And so, I think most people just don't take the time to ask. So, awesome, cool. Do you have anything else you want to ask? Um, no, I think that's yeah, that's, that's pretty much it, mate. Awesome, Braden. It's been real fun having you on uh, for a second time. Uh, I've enjoyed it, and I hope you've enjoyed it too. Look forward to speaking to you again. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Bye. See ya.